in the Bible, a person's name is often equivalent to their personality. Used to be that people named their children for the meaning of those names. Like the meaning of the name Timothy is lover of God. How they know, how our parents knew from the beginning of of our birth, what we would turn out to be, there seems to be under understanding of it. My our youngest daughter's name is Bethany, and her second her middle name is Faye, after my mom's middle name. But the name the name Bethany means house of poverty. The name Faye means faith. So we said that by faith she'll get out of the house of poverty. But anyway, um Sometimes it also might denote a characteristic of the child. For instance, in the Hebrew, the the name Moses meant pulled out or drawn out because he was drawn out of the Nile as a baby and would later pull his people out of Egypt. The name Esau denoted his ruddy complexion. Adam would probably testify that Eve meant wow. Maybe not. Anyway, because when he looked over, woke up from his sleep and looked over and saw this woman, he could he could only say, yeah, baby, that's that's pretty wow. Um, anyway, so a change of name indicated a deliberate or decisive redirection of a person's life. Like when a- Abram, meaning exalted father, became Abraham, father of a multitude, or when Sarai became Sarah, princess of a multitude. When Jacob, deceiver, became Israel, a powerful prince. When Hadassah, which means myrtle, was renamed Esther, which means star. Or when Saul started going by the name Paul. We see that in the Bible. You, If you knew someone's name, it meant that you really knew them personally and intimately. Conversely, if you didn't know someone's name, you didn't don't really know that individual. Calling someone by their first name exhibited a familiarity with them. We could say that a person is somehow present in his or her name. And I've told you this before, but the, the sound that is sweetest to any person is the sound of their own first name. There's something that's sweet about it when you hear somebody calling your first name. Unless your mother is saying, Timothy, then you know you're in trouble. Right? To know someone's name was somehow to have a handle on them, to sort of contain them. That's why we teach our children to call their elders Mr. Ward or Mrs. Ward instead of by their first names. We teach our children to respect their elders. After Adam and Eve were created, God revealed himself using different names. Actually, in fact, God didn't often give the, give the names to himself, but he revealed himself to them in certain ways, and they gave God these names. Authority, or Adam had the authority to name all the animals, but only the Almighty could reveal his name for his purposes and by his character. The names of God help us understand more about God's personality and promises. It reveals his character and his attributes and his actions in life. He is one God and yet expresses himself as Elohim, which is plural. It means that he is the creator and designer of the universe. 
God is also to be dressed, addressed as Adonai because he is Lord and master of all. When our problems seem insurmountable, he promised his peace as Jehovah Shalom. And when we're finally ready to surrender, he will pray, we will praise him as Jehovah Jireh, the one who is the provider. Hagar knew him as the one who sees because he saw her when she was in her despair. In the Old Testament, to do something in someone's name or to call upon an individual's name was very serious business. When the scripture directs us to call on the name of the Lord, we are inviting God to come right into our situation. We read in Genesis chapter 4, verse 6, or 26, that it didn't take long in the history of mankind for people to begin calling on the name of the Lord. It says, at that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. This is a good spot for us to pause and point out a few things. Whenever you see the word Lord with all capital letters in the Old Testament, it's referring to the name Yahweh. This name is used over 6,800 times in the Old Testament, three times more than the name Elohim. Three times as many, not three times. Not Elohim is not 6,793. Elohim is three times less than, than, than 6,800. This name was considered so sacred that when scribes would write it, they would take a bath beforehand, and then after writing that, that word, they would destroy the pen. The Jewish people held this name in such high honor and immense awe that when they would come to it in the reading, they would not even pronounce it. In fact, it was so revered that it was only spoken out loud once a year, on the Day of Atonement, and then only by the high priest in the most holy place of the temple. The names Adonai means my Lord, and Hashem means the name. And so in Hebrew, they would say Adonai Hashem, the, my Lord, the name, and they would, they would use that in their litany when they would recite during the, during the Day of Atonement. And it was only during that day that they would use the name Yahweh. As a way of setting his name, this name apart from any other name, when it is written, the scribes used four consonants. They didn't write out the whole name. They used four consonants and they left out the vowels so that people would not inadvertently take it in vain. And the letters are the consonant, the letters are uh, YHWH, and the, the Hebrew pronunciation of those letters are Yud He Vav He. And you see in each one of those letters, yud he vav he, they would say those. There's kind of a breathy sound in it. When you have when you say yud he vav he, there's there's a breathing to it. In an early early Christian era, this name was anglicized and translated as Jehovah. They would sense that when they spoke that yud yud he vav he they would be speaking about the Spirit of God breathing out onto people. The breath of God, the wind of the Spirit, oftentimes these things are re reflected and recorded and remembered as the presence of God. God is not really his name. Capital G-O-D is not really God's name. The definition of God, little g, is something or someone who is worshipped something we value highly. So a God is something or someone we 
we value highly, we put a capital G in front of it to signify that he is the God that we referred to. But part of our problem today is that we become too casual with God. Instead of hesitating to even pronounce his name like the Hebrews did, many people use God's name flippantly, don't they? God's name has become part of our slang and is used more often in swearing than in supplication. Many curse his name out loud or curse out loud using his name, sometimes using various variations of his name, denigrating God or Elohim or Jehovah by making unfair accusations or simply thinking too little of him. Scripture, the Old Testament, the the Ten Commandments tell us to respect, do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The third commandment found in, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7 is this. It's a charge to not take God's holy name in vain. It says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord, Yahweh, your God, for the Lord Yahweh will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. We're to not treat his name as empty or nothing. In fact, we are only to use the Lord's name in complete reverence. I wonder how far we've gone. In his classic book called Your God is Too Small, J.B. Phillips writes this, the trouble with many people today is that they have not, not found a God big enough for their modern needs. That may be because for many of us, our view of God has not changed much since we were little kids. Some of the images that we may hold include the following. God is the resident policeman who is just out to bust us for our behavior. Or God is the grandfatherly old man who winks at our wrongdoing or the managing director who controls everything, or the meek and mild God who is helpless to do anything about our situation. And to many people, God is merely a holy vending machine, a sort of cosmic Christmas wish list book. In short, J.B. Phillips suggests that we have put God in a box and our box is really small. We have shrunk him down so much that we can understand him and our thoughts about him are nowhere close to what the Bible teaches. We have to understand completely of God. So we put this in, put him in this little box so that we can contain him and know him. I submit to you, if your God is in a box, he's not the same as mine. Because our God is is unimaginable. Is enormous. Some of us may have have made him in our in our image instead of fully living out what it means to be made in his image. Are you ready to take God out of the box of preconceived ideas in order to see the bigness of God? We need to understand more about what he goes by. Oftentimes people will ask me, Does is God like this or does God do that? You know, friends, there's a lot of things that I don't know about God. And I will tell them, I don't know. But here's what I know Scripture says. And we could trust him. We're going to turn to Exodus chapter 3, where we are introduced to the meaning, the majesty, and the mystery of the name Jehovah, Jehovah, or Yahweh. 
The other names of God used earlier were revealed to individuals in certain specific situations, but the name we will see today in our text comes straight from God himself, and because it does, we must approach this section with some fear and trembling. So I'm going to ask, I think Marty is going to be reading at Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, and in this we will see that the name that God gives himself for Moses is the, are the letters used in, you won't see it in, in this, but the letters for that, for what he is saying is the, what comes from that yod heh vav heh. So go ahead and read 1 through 14, Marty. Okay, am I on? Yes. All right, good. Uh, Exodus 3, 1, 14, New International Version. Moses in the burning bush. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see that strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out, up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now... The cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are opposing them, oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, to the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. All right, thank you. So the first thing that we see about this name is Yahweh is a personal name. We see that while he is holy, he's highly personal. 
If you look at verses seven through eight, it says, the Lord or Yahweh said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them. Aren't you glad that God sees our suffering and he is moved by our misery? As God hears the cries of his people, he becomes very concerned about what they are going through. God is, or Moses is no doubt thrilled that God is coming down to rescue them. He's probably thinking, go for it, God. It's about time you do something like that, wipe these Egyptians out. But then he hears God saying that he is planning to mobilize Moses for the rescue efforts. He says, so now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So while God, Yahweh, is personal, he's also appointed uh, Moses to be as his leader and his deliverer, and we'll see that Moses is a little bit unsure about it. So the second thing we see is God is not only personal, but he's present. Verse 11, Moses tries to bail out of his assignment, claiming that he's just a nobody. He says, who am I that you would send me? He feels incapable and unworthy. I don't know of anybody in the rest of history that has ever felt incapable and unworthy. You ever felt that way? In the next chapter, Moses tells God that he is not eloquent enough to speak to Pharaoh. God responds in verse 12, I will be with you. When I entered the pastor and I thought, who am I to stand up in front of God's people and deliver the message of God from the word of God to God's people? Who am I to do that? And similar to this, God said, I will be with you. And that's enough, isn't it? Moses was mortified by what he was being asked to do uh, but God wanted him to know that he would be with him. Then Moses describes the absurdity of this request by con con conjecturing in verse 13. He says, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me and they ask me, what's his name? What am I supposed to tell them? Well, if he was being sent by them, by, if he was being sent by God, then God would reveal his name because how else could he have the authority of the God who sends him? So Moses is wondering aloud why God's people would even listen to him. The Egyptians had numerous gods, all with names. But what does our God, the God of the Israelites, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, go by? We don't just say, hey, you. There's got to be something that we call him by. As I shared with you, many used to call him by names that referred to his characters, character or, or actions or things like that. It's interesting that God doesn't tie himself down with one name. He tells Moses that he is who he is. In verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And later he just, Jesus says, I am. Isn't it interesting how he doesn't tie himself down to one name or one attribute? He just says, I am. You fill in the blank. It's all-encompassing. It's completely total. There's nothing you can say that it is, is, is any different. In fact, the words can be literally translated to this. 
I will be what I will be. Whatever you think, I will be what I will be. I am the Lord. The four Hebrew consonants, as I said, are yod heh vav heh and together they're pronounced like Yahweh. There's a breathy sound to it. This Yahweh, who was pre-existent, is also personally present with us. He has existed in eternity past, and he will he is present now, and he exists in eternity future. His name gives us a sense that God is all-encompassing. He is complete. He is all-knowing. He is all-loving. He is all-ever-present. He is all-powerful. God is all of that. And the same God who worked through the patriarchs was working through Moses at that time. It's fleshed out in Isaiah chapter 43, verses 10 and 11, so that you may know and believe and understand that I am he before, before no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. Even I, I am the Lord, Yahweh, and apart from me, there is no Savior. The Israelites knew in the beginning of their Shema that they would say, the Lord is one. Love the Lord with all of your heart and your soul and your mind. In the New Testament, we add the word strength in there. That has to do with our body. Everything about us, we are to love the one God. There is no other God before him. He is it. We could turn this into a prayer using these words, Yahweh, you've always been, you always are, you always will be because you are the God who is there. You are the God who are. You are everything and anything I will ever need and I need not look elsewhere. If you look at some of the praise courses and even some of our old hymns, a lot of them are just sung about who God is. Isn't that what worship is? When we really look at God and just say, who are you? And this is what you've done for me. Third thing in Exodus chapter 3, verse 15, God declares that he goes by Yahweh. This, this is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. God's name is personal and present and, present and powerful. Now, if I were Thomas Ramundo, I could say those three Ps really easily, but I can't say those things real easily. But he is personal and present and powerful. In verse 19, it says, But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. Moses is not being asked to go alone. God is going to go with you. I will be with you. And then finally, the fourth thing is God is a promise keeper. Three different times in Exodus 3 and once at the end of chapter 2, Yahweh recounts the fact that he is a covenant-keeping God. If you look at chapter 2, verse 24, it says, God heard their groaning, groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, which is said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and of Jacob. What was the covenant that God made with them? One, he would make their people numerous, as more, more than the sands on the seashore or the stars in the sky. You can't count them. But the main thing he said is, I will bless you and make you a blessing to all nations. By the way, that same promise, that same covenant that God gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he has also given to us. Now, I don't think he's going to make 
the seat of Timothy Ward, as numerous as the sands of the seashore, because I only have two kids and one grandchild, so not much hope for me. But spiritual children, he can make us as our generations as numerous as the sands of the seashore. Yahweh keeps his promise because he's a covenant-keeping God. The idea of a covenant is an essential teaching of Scripture. God made a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 9, promising that he would never destroy the whole earth with a flood. In his covenant with Abraham, God promised to bless his descendants through Isaac. In the covenant with David, God declared that one of David's descendants would always be on the throne of Israel. So Yahweh is personal, he's present, he's powerful, and he keeps his promises. And when we catch a glimpse of him, our view of him should enlarge and our worship of him should be filled with more reverence and more rejoicing. When we look at God and we hear him say, when Moses says, who am I out of fear? God responds in total confidence, I am. That is all sufficient. We don't need any more. I am who I am. Don't worry about it. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will do what I will do. I will be what I will be. It's interesting that Jesus, like I said earlier, also referred to himself as I am. I am the bread of life. I am the light. I am the river of living water. Jesus not only said his name out aloud, he deliberately delineated himself as the bearer of this name in John chapter 8, verse 58. Before Abraham was born, Jesus says this, before Abraham was born, I am. Not I was, not I will be, but I am. And then on eight different occasions, Jesus used the same phrase, I am, to define who he is. The bread of life, the light of the world, the the gate, the good shepherd, the way, the truth, the life, the vine, the alpha and omega, the resurrection and the life. He goes on to say, I am the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end, the always has been and the always will be, the holy, righteous and just, yet good, merciful and kind, the creator and sustainer and all that you need, the all-providing one, the one who sees the heart of your sacrifice, the one who calls you by name and gives you a new name, the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night to lead you, the Passover lamb redeeming you and atoning for your sin, the light for your path and the thick darkness covering over you, the brightness of glory from which all must hide their faces, the kinsman redeemer, the rebuilder of everything that's broken, the lover of your soul and the conviction of your spirit, the suffering servant, the fourth man in the midst of the fiery furnace, the Lord mighty to save, the son of righteousness with healing in his winds, the shining light calling out on your road to Damascus. I am the friend that sticks closer than a brother. See, do you want to know the name of the Lord? It is simply this. I am who I am. Everything we need to know is wrapped up in that. It is all encompassing. It is all powerful. And all we can simply do is stand back and say, wow. And as Isaiah said, 
آیمندان